has um, <clears throat> anyone been watching the Olympics these days? Kind of, yeah, a little bit. Um, the Winter Olympics are usually not the most exciting for me because um, I like, I mean, I, I, like, I like watching uh, the women's figure skating because uh, um, I think at heart there's a, a big part of me that, that still feels these uh, Korean ties. Um, but the rest, of the, the rest of the Olympics, Winter Olympics, aren't that exciting to me. But um, this year, I, I think a lot of, um, I don't know if they always do this, but it, it seems like they've played up a little bit more the, the human interest uh, angle on it. And they're, they're telling us a lot of the backstory. And then there's obviously all of these commercials that are making us cry. And, oh, so I love my mom and, and things like that. Thank you, mom. And, and so the Olympics have been a little bit more meaningful. Olivia and I, after we um, put the kids down, when we're, when we're able to, to, to be together at night, um, the kids are put down. That's kind of our, our, our brief solace is we, we sit on, the, on our couch and then we turn on the Olympics and, you know, watch the, the, the skiing and the, the skating and some of these weird things. I don't know what they are, but we, we watch some of these events. And um, because it's still not that exciting for me, we're watching it and, and all is a little bit more engaged at times. I'm a little bit more engaged at other times, but um, there'll be times where these different events are going on and I just, I, I really don't care much about it. And so I'm kind of messing around on my phone or doing something else. And, and all of a sudden, Olive will be like, oh my gosh, did you see that? And I'm like, what, what, what? And she's like, that was the greatest jump in the history of, 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 of slope-style skiing. And I was like, oh, shoot. Who, well, I just have to catch it on, on instant replay. I could DVR, rewind it, but I don't. And it's like, oh, that was so awesome. Or I'll be, I'll be doing something. I'll be checking Facebook on my phone because I'm not interested in, in that male figure skater. And she's like, oh, my gosh. He just did, like, the most, the tightest, like, triple sal cow and quadruple toe loop and whatever. Into it. I'm like, dang, that's, uh, that's really cool. And she's like, oh, you just missed one of the... So something that this skier has never done or this, this jumper has skate uh, snowboarder has done something that no one no human being has ever done in the history of the world ever and you and just missed it and I'm like oh dang that's kind of stinky don't you hate when, when that happens when you're watching something or you're supposed to be watching something and something happens and you just miss like the most amazing moment ever <laughs> I don't know if that has ever happened to you maybe you're riding on the back of a pickup truck and and you're, it's like a, a beautiful night sky, and, and you're, you're riding with a couple other people, and the one moment you put your head down to sneeze, and they're like, oh, that was a shooting star. <laughs> it was like so beautiful. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I miss it. It stinks. It stinks to be the one who doesn't get to see those things because you miss out on it because you're not ready to see it. The Bible talks about a guy named Jacob. We looked into his life last week, looked at this guy, and if there's every, anyone who needed to fix their broken lives, it was this guy, Jacob. There is Jacob, and the, and the Bible tells us, we're going to read it today, that for all of his life, for all of his life, he was missing out on this amazing, life-changing, life-transforming thing, right? this thing that he missed out on. And the Bible's saying that a lot of us live this way also, and the stakes are so much higher. If we could think about it, if we could see somehow all that we're missing out on and all that we're leaving on the table in the way of God's blessings— because we miss out on this one simple thing, then it would change the way that we live. It would change the way that we see life. It would change the way that we, we, we view things. It would change our perspective on anything, everything. So what is that thing that we so often miss out on? Let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 28. We're going to read uh, verses, 10, <clears throat> verses 10 through the end of the chapter, verse 22. This is God's word. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. We all do this, don't we? Nice pillow, the rock. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. 
Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar (coughs) and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is God's word. Okay, so verses 16 and 17, this is crucial. This is the hinge. Jacob woke and he thought, surely... The Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I think this is the one thing that Jacob was missing out on all of his life. And it's the one thing that so many of us miss out on. And when we, and because we miss out on the fact that God is here, that he's alive, and that he's with you wherever you are. We miss out on so many countless, untold, unseen, unreceived blessings of God because God is in this place, but we haven't known it. What happens when we see God? What happens when God shows up? What happens when God visits a certain place, a person? What happens when God meets with someone? We recognize the fact that God is there. Everything changes. Everything is different. Three thoughts, three things at least that change. Here's the first thing we see here. The first thing is that when God shows up, any predicament, any predicament can be changed. Verse 10, this is what it says. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. What's happening here? You remember last week, we saw this promise that God gave through an oracle to Jacob's mother, Rebekah. Okay, so Jacob's mother, Rebekah, 20 years, her husband Isaac prayed that she would have a child. And as soon as she's pregnant, she realizes she's got two people within her, Jacob and Esau. Esau's the older, Jacob is the younger. Okay, Esau's the older, Jacob is the younger. It was never, never, never before thought of that in that culture, the younger one would rule over the older one. But that's what the oracle said, that Jacob is going to be the ruler over Esau. Okay, unheard of, un, just never, never before seen, unprecedented. So as we're looking at this, we saw... That as they, as they grew older, right, Isaac was the one who loved Esau, Rebekah was the one who loved Jacob. And there's this moment, there's this instant where Jacob desperately wants to take the birthright from his brother Esau. And so in effect, he swindles his brother, trading a million dollar inheritance and all of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, swindling all of that, stealing that for just a, a cup of lentil stew and some bread. And so he jacks that from Esau. Later on, later in life, later in life, even though the oracle said that the older will serve the younger, their father Isaac still in that moment still wants to bless the older one with the blessing of the firstborn rather than Jacob. And so what does Jacob do? He dresses up. We we talked about this briefly last week. He dresses up like his hairier brother Esau because his dad is blind. Going, he's going, he's going, uh, can't see very well. And so he says, your voice sounds like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And so instead of blessing Esau, in his deceived state, he blesses Jacob. And so as soon as Esau goes in to receive the blessing from his father, his dad's like, what the nasty just happened? I blessed you already. 
And Esau's like, no, 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 he's trembling. He says, he's trembling. He's like, that little brother, he must have deceived you. And then he goes out on a, on a rampage and he wants to kill his brother. And so he makes a vow and he says, as soon as my dying father is dead, I'm going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob's mom and dad find out and they're like, you need to, you need to skip town. Get out of here. Go leave. Take the next train out and run. So 550 miles away is his relative Laban, lives in a place called Haran where Abraham used to be, okay, that area where Abraham used to live. And so here he is, he's running away, 550-mile journey to get to safety, and he's gone about 50 miles to a place called Luz. He's gone about 50 miles, probably the second day, about 20, 25 miles a day, and he gets to this place, and the sun is setting, and he says, I need to go to sleep. Because in the dark Mesopotamian night, he can't see anything. So there could be wild animals lurking around. There could be bandits who try and jump him. There could be all kinds of dangers. There could be potholes, not little potholes, but but things in the ground that he steps in and, and gets hurt. There could be poisonous things around. And so he says, I need to sleep. So he gets to this place. And so he takes out a rock. And he lays it down. Why does he take out a rock? Three reasons why. One, it's saying this is all that he has. He doesn't have anything. He's taken nothing with him but the clothes on his back. And if, if, at least if he had more clothes, he could roll it up like some of us do when we forget our pillow or something at a retreat or at a camp or at a mission trip. We roll up our clothes and put... He didn't even have that. Just has a rock. He's penniless, homeless, away from everything, anyone who ever loved him. He's on the run. The second reason why is because it's saying he's in a hard place. This is literal, literally what they're saying. Uh, you're, you put your head down on what's supposed to be a soft place, you're in a hard place, he's in a hard place. And the last, the last reason why it's saying he's hit rock bottom. This is it. And as he's on the run, he puts his head down to sleep and probably maybe for the first time, he begins to deeply think about his predicament and everything that he's running away from. You know how it is. You can have all kinds of craziness going on in your life. Maybe you just broke up with your significant other or you just, I don't know, you committed some kind of an awful sin or or crime or or you're just so overwhelmed with all the stuff of life. You you had someone close to you pass away. You you just got a, a diagnosis from the doctor and you just busied all of that up Right? Covered all that stuff up by busyness, by food, by, by pleasure, by friends. And, and it's when you go to sleep and you have nothing, you've got no iPod to distract you, no iPhone to distract you, no Galaxy to distract you, nothing like that. You're just sitting there laying down all by yourself. And all of a sudden, the flood of thoughts come to his mind of everything that's going on in his life. And he says, how in the world did I get to this place? How did I get into this situation? I stole from my brother. What God had already promised to me. I deceived my own father. Maybe he, he's thinking about, you know, how, how, how have I become so deceitful that this is what has come down to? Maybe he thought with tears in his eyes about the last time he said goodbye to his mother, the one person in his life who loved him the way that he longed to be loved all of his life. And as she sent him away, and he's thinking about the tears in her eyes. He lays down to sleep that night. And then the questions start coming. How is it that I will inherit the promised land if Esau is the one there and he wants to kill me? How am I going to inherit this land? I'm running away. I've got nothing. Who's going to protect me as I go into this this wilderness area? Who's going to take care of me? If animals come and and they try and kill me, I have nothing. Who's going to take care of me here? And in that moment where Jacob is at rock bottom in this worst of worst predicaments, it's in this place he closes his eyes. And in between all of this stuff and his sleep, God meets him in this dream. This amazing dream, it says, verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven 
And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Most people, when they draw this stairway, everyone who, who knows um, the ancient Near East has a picture in mind of a ziggurat. It's basically a pyramid that has these long, big staircases, and these uh, stairs are, are going upwards. And in their dream, archeo- actually in his dream, this is what he's saying, because archaeologists have uh, unearthed these kind of ziggurats. These pyramid, pyramid structures with be- these big stairs, but they recognize the stairs that were created were far too high for any human being to climb. Right? So what is, what is the deal with these stairs? It was, it was created so that the gods could, it was a stairway for the gods to come up and down. It was a very religious symbol. So God is taking something very familiar in the mind of Jacob, and he's redeeming that to show Jacob something that he d- deeply needs to, to see, and it would be this dream that would forever set him on a course where his life would be changed. He's got this dream. He sees this dream, and on it, on this ziggurat, on this stairway, on this stairway to heaven, so to speak, there are angels in ascending and descending on that, and God sits on top of that. It's not saying that God is coming up and down, right? Because he's not like the little gods of the ancient Near East, territorial gods that needed to to walk around everywhere, but God is standing on top of it. He is not bound by these things, but he's showing himself to be in that place. And what God says to him will forever give clarity to everything about Jacob's past, his present, and his future. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, look, Jacob, you need to understand, verse 13, I am the Lord the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying, your descendants and all these things. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you till I have done what I have promised you. Here's what God is saying. Jacob, the reason why you need to cheat and steal is because you don't think I'm with you. Because you don't know that I'm with you wherever you are. That's why you think you need to take matters into your own hand. That's why you think you need to rob and cheat and steal and work harder because you think you need to do for me what only I can do for you. And if we peel back the layers of our heart, this is why we are the way that we are too. Because we live not as children, we live as slaves, as we live as orphans. Because we don't believe that in this present situation, this present predicament, that God is here for me. And so we need to work ourselves and work ourselves and fight and struggle because we think it's all up to us. And God is saying, if only you knew, surely God is in this place. Every predicament that you face, what's that predicament in your life? That you feel like, you know what, I, this is me. This is me. I'm running away. I'm running away from these things. They're chasing after me. It's my stress. It's my fear. It's my anxiety. It's my sin. We feel like it's all up to us to try and fix these broken pieces of our lives. But God is saying, you've got to understand that wherever you are, right, that's the house of God. And if God is there, then every predicament of your life can be changed. It's what God is saying to Jacob. You know, maybe some of you have hit rock bottom. The reason why Jacob's on the run is not just because Esau's chasing him. It's because God wants to get personal with him. Because he doesn't want to be the God. He says, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. When will I be the God of Jacob? And it's here where he strips away everything from him so that he can get Jacob alone so that Jacob could hear so that Jacob's predicament, his situation could be changed. And maybe y'all are in a place where you feel like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm in this predicament. I don't know why I'm in this situation. Could it be that God wants to get personal? That he wants to show you not only his presence, But he wants to show you his power in a way that you've only heard about before, but you've never seen that for your own life. You're in a a predicament like that, in a situation like that, and you're trying everything you can to make it work. 
I'm trying to change her. I'm trying to change him. I'm trying to change this. I'm trying to change that. And God's saying, I've got you alone. I've got you alone. Can you see? Can you see? You're in this predicament. You're at your rock bottom. You're in a hard place. There's nothing left but me. Because you see, when God shows up, any predicament, any predicament can be changed. That's the first thing. The second thing, any place can be changed. Look at what, again, look at what he says. Um, Verse 11, when he reached a certain place. It says again in, in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place. Verse 17, how awesome is this place. Later it would go on, and by the way, in verse 19, he says, by the way, that place used to be called Luz, but it, no one really thinks much about it. The important thing, verse, when it says verse 11, when you reach a certain place, this is Hebrew idiom saying no place in particular. When he reached some ordinary place, look, some ordinary place, when God shows up, that place becomes the house of God, the gate of heaven. Look, I know we all have in our minds an idea of where God's supposed to show up, of where God is. Yeah, when I come to church and the praise team is up here, that's where God is. When I go on the mission field, that's where God is. When I go to retreat, that's where God is. When I go to this chapel service, that's where God is. But God is saying, listen, the ordinary place a certain place, any certain place, any place. You can have heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending. Your prayer goes up in that place. God's provision comes down. And it can be anywhere you are because where you are, God is there. Listen, if you get this, it's going to change everything about the way that we live life. You don't have to wait until Sunday. You don't have to wait till you come here. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go, this is the gate of heaven. Everywhere you go as you're walking on the street, everywhere you go as you go to school, the gate of heaven opens up and God's like, I'm ready. I'm ready to send angels down with with, with the answer to your prayer if you would just realize and not wait until Sunday. Don't wait until that time where you feel like God's presence is going to meet me here. It's going to meet me here. Just He's wherever you are. God can change an ordinary place into the house of God. Wherever you are, surely God is in this place. I just wasn't aware of it. And all that could be changed. And all that could be changed. This little room here, right? this room, an ordinary room, a small room, a simple room, but how many lives have been changed in this place? Because we recognize that God is here, that this is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. A school in Ecuador, right? For us, it's a mission trip. But for every person who set foot in that school, in that gymnasium, in that courtyard, for them, it's just another day going to school. Another day going into the the, the school gymnasium. And so many people had their eternal address rewritten that one day. Because we believed that God is in this place. Wherever you are, Surely God is in that place. And you're standing at the gate of heaven, where heaven just peels open that place. It just rips open the heavens. And he's wanting to pour out into your life because wherever you are, God is there. Wherever you are, you're at the gate of heaven. Knocking on heaven's door right there, and God can send down his blessing to you. He can send down his presence to you wherever you are. You know, there's no secret place where God meets with his people is just because we recognize and we believe that God is in this place. That's why whenever we gather here, we try and create a culture where really it's not just like 150 people here just looking at each other, but God is here. He's alive and he's here to change lives. And here we see that God, you're moving a mighty river that's going to the nations. But wherever you go, the same thing can happen. Wherever you go, the same thing opens up to you. 
Because everywhere you go, God is there, and the gate of heaven opens up to you. Even in the most insignificant of places. I, I've, I, I often talk about how some of my best prayer times come in my car on long drives. Some, some of you guys have been, have been blessed with a short commute to work or to school, and you guys are so happy about that. Others of you feel like it's such a curse. I have to drive an hour to work. I have to drive an hour to school. I have to drive an hour to church. Maybe you feel like, oh, pity me. You know what? What if you realize that in your car? Oh, my goodness. You realize that in your car for that 45 minutes of unhindered time, a certain place, a certain car, an ordinary car, that can become the gate of heaven. Holy cow. And there was a retreat I spoke at up in Virginia in, in August. It was in the sticks in some uh, podunk place. And so I flew into northern Virginia, spent some time with some friends and, and family. And then I drove down three hours to, to, to Lynchburg, Virginia. And can I tell you how, how fiery that prayer meeting was? Just me and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father just meeting me in my car. Oh, so powerful. It was like fire falling down into that place. Literally, it was a gate of heaven. And I, I was just, by the time I got to that retreat, I felt like I'm done with my retreat. I had my retreat. And then I went in and I had another retreat. And I was doubly all like, oh, I was like, ooh, kooky. And because your car can be the gate of heaven. Even it's the most ordinary place, but it's even the most the places where you feel like God should least show up. I wake up every other day between 5 and 5.30. I wish I could say it's because I love waking up to pray. I wake up at 4 o'clock to do that. I'm just kidding. 5 and 5.30 because Elijah wakes up then. And so every other day, Olivia and I take turns and we go in and I'm groggy I'm not very happy. I'm tired. Sometimes I'm angry. I walk into that place, into Elijah's room. It's still dark. And I pick him up. I wipe the tears off of his eyes. And I sing this one song. There's a song, two songs I sing before I put him to bed. One song when if I sing 10,000 reasons, that, that will put him to sleep. Or he'll feel like it's nighttime. He'll get angry. And I just sing a song to comfort him. It's says, I, I lo- oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. As I'm holding him, I'm patting his back. I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the beauty of my king. I love you with the love of the Lord. He just comfortably rests his head on my shoulder as I'm patting him, and I sit down in his chair, waiting for him to fall back asleep. And in that place, so cranky, so not wanting to be there. In that moment, I realize this is my gate of heaven. I start talking to God, praying for my son, praying for my daughter, my unborn daughter, praying for Olivia, praying for these kids, praying for their future, praying for their wives, their husbands, getting to, if I can get to that place, I'm still awake, praying for our church and seeking God and those moments, my soul is just coming alive. The joy of the Lord filling me in that place. Ordinary, what I consider to be a God-forsaken place, becomes a gateway to heaven. Nursing mothers. We have five pregnant women in our congregation right now. When you're nursing your child, three o'clock in the morning, that's a gate of heaven right there. I know that, oh, you hate life, and, but if you're going to be awake... Let that be the house of God. That's your gift. God's gift to you in those moments, the one quiet moment you have. Let the gates of heaven open up. And how many of us have experienced God in a way that we've never experienced before in in places that we never thought he should show up? A hospital room. A cemetery. A manger. den of lions, a fiery furnace, a bush in the middle of the desert. God loves to show up ordinary places. 
to turn them into Bethel, the house of God. Like so many churches and ministries call themselves Bethel. This is the house of God. God is alive and he's here. If only I could be awakened to that reality. The last thing then. Every predicament, every place, every person can be changed. Why? What is God doing here? He's protecting Jacob, but like I said, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to get Jacob to realize that God is not only the God of Abram, he's not only the God of Isaac, but he's Jacob's God. And sometimes he has to get us alone in order for us to have not a not a God that we hear about, not a God that we've heard testimonies about, but a God that we talk about personally, a God that we testify to personally, not a God of other people's songs, but a God of our own songs. And here we see that God, you're moving because I see that in my own life. That's what God wants to do for you to sing the song and not look over at other people and say, why are they getting it? But I'm not, he wants you to get it because he doesn't want to be the God of your dad and your mom and your grandma, your grandpa. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your God, not a God you think he's yours just because you got baptized when you were a kid, but a God who's personal to you, who's real to you, who sets your heart ablaze in the way that he did with your ancestors and your forefathers and the people of Scripture. This is what God is trying to do, to get personal with you. And every the, 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 the grabber, Jacob, in this moment when God meets with him, is transformed. You see what happens at the end. He offers this vow. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me. He's basically taking what God has just said to him and said, God, you promised this. If you are true to your promise, which I know you will be, here's my response to you. This is, this is gospel here. God promised that he would send his son to save the world. He did. And we're saying, because you did that, if you do that, which you already did, if you do that, then God, here's my life. I have decided to follow you, no turning back, because Christ is enough. This is what he says. If you do all this, God, verse 22, at the very end, he says, then of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Saying, this is my tithe to you, my 10% of what you give to me. I'm going to give it back to you. Why? Because you've done this great work in me. Because when we see God, He transforms a grasper into a giver. And our lives are never the same. Has your life been changed by God? Not just like you've become more moral or you come to church more often, but has your life been changed by God? Is there fruit of repentance, fruit of a new life, fruit of a relationship with God in your life? Is He your God of transforming grace. Because Jacob changes here. God changes him, and he'll forever be different. It's not going to happen overnight. You know this, and I know this. But he's changing me. My precious Jesus, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing that someday, perfect, I will be little by little bit every day, little by little bit every way. My Jesus is changing me. Praise God, he's changing me. So here's Jacob. You fast forward to chapter 32. Jacob has this awakening. God's been working in his life, working in his life, working in his life, changing him, transforming him, working in him moving in him. And in chapter 32, he says, I want to reconcile with my brother. I messed my brother up big time. I hurt him. I hurt my family. God, I, I want you to change me. And so he says, I, I'm going to go and I'm going to meet Esau. He has no idea, no idea what's going to happen. So he sends chapter 32, he sends his envoy, his family ahead of him. And he says, bring all of these animals, 400 animals, give them to Esau. Let him know that this is the fruit of my repentance. I'm not bribing him. I'm just saying this is, I, I, I stole, now I'm giving. I'm changed. I'm a new person. So he sends him ahead. And then chapter 33 talks about Jacob. He's like, is my brother going to kill me? Is he angry? What's going to happen as I come face to face with the brother that I've deceived, that I've stolen everything? 
robbed him of his, uh, of his future. And they're coming to this encounter, walking, 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 and it says Esau threw his arms around Jacob and he hugged him and they wept. And then Jacob says something so powerful. He says, for me to see your face is to see the face of God. Because once you begin to see God at your Bethel, once you begin to realize that wherever you go, this is the house of God, you begin to see God everywhere. You begin to see God in the face of your sworn enemy. You begin to see God in the face of people who have hurt you. You begin to see God everywhere. And his life is changed. Little by little bit. Every day. Sometimes we fall backwards. One step backward, we take two steps forward by God's grace. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. And then he picks us up and we move on. Another step forward, two steps forward. Because he realizes that this is none other than the gate of heaven. When we meet God, every predicament can be changed. Any place can be changed. Any person can be changed. There's somebody that you have stopped believing God can change. Wherever the gate of heaven is, a transformation can happen. It can happen. It can happen in you. He came to fix our broken lives. He can fix you in your addictions. He can fix you in your lustful tendencies. He can fix you in your infidelity. He can fix these things because that's what he comes to do. As long as we begin to realize, surely God is in this place. I need to repent. I need to turn around. But you see, how does this happen? In John chapter 1, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible, read through the New Testament, you got to John chapter 1. Jesus has this conversation with a guy named Nathaniel. And he says of Nathaniel, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And then later in that passage, and then Nathaniel goes on, he says, how did you know me? And Jesus says, you, you, you believe me because I said these things. Trust me, you're going to see even greater things. You're going to see the heavens open up and the angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. Three things. Israel. Now, he didn't say Jew. He said a true Israelite. When he thinks of Israelite, he thinks of the name Israel, and he thinks about who? That's Jacob. First thing that reminds him of Jacob. Second thing, deceit. Of all the people in the Bible, when you think of deceit, you think of Jacob. Third thing, this angels ascending and descending, stairway to heaven. Three things, Jesus clearly pointing back to Jacob and to Jacob's stairway to heaven. But the thing is, when Jesus is talking, there's no stairway. How do, we, how do we experience this transformation? I'll tell you, here's how most people try and experience it. Here's how most people try and change their predicament, change their place, change a person. is through religion. Okay? By doing whatever they can to fix themselves up in order that they might be more acceptable before God. By doing more stuff, by trying a little bit harder in order to gain God's favor, in order that change would happen. But you know what the tower builders of Babel show us? They wanted to build a tower that reached to the heavens, but they couldn't because there is no tower that reaches up there. In fact, what religion does in creating a system of the rules, it creates a ceiling above which you cannot go. Because the law tells you this is how high you have to get, and none of us can get there. And that ceiling says there is no way that you could get up to heaven. There's no stairway to heaven possible. Because that's not what we need. What we really needed was a stairway from heaven. And that's what Jesus says he is. The reason there's no stair in what Jesus is saying, he's telling Nathaniel, and he's telling you, and he's telling me, I'm the stairway from heaven. I'm the one who came down to change your predicament, to change the place you are, to change you and everybody that you ever dared to believe needed to be changed. Because you don't need a stairway to heaven because it'll never get there. You need one that came from heaven down to you. And the glorious thing about what he's talking about here is that this one actually does reach into the heavens and God sits on top. 
Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you tired of trying to change and fix your situation apart from God? You try to, tired of trying to change apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus? It says you need Jesus, the stairway that came down. It's not because you go to church that he's in your life. Then every person needs to choose to lay down their arms of rebellion and say, I need Jesus to be the new king of my life and to be the new savior of my life. I can't get there on my own. It says stop trying to do it apart from me. And if you do that, then you'll realize, then you'll realize that wherever you are, right, it's the house of God, the gate of heaven. God's ready to change our broken lives. Let's pray together. Can we just take uh, 30 seconds right now to respond to the word of God in prayer? Let's, let's dive into these truths here, guys. God is here with you. And when you leave this week, even though John and the praise team is not with you, wherever you are, that place can be transformed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God who promised will be true to his word? Let's pray a couple of moments right now and ask the Lord God, help me to believe it. Help me to believe that where I am is where you are and where you are. David says, where can I flee from your spirit? If I go to the far side of the sea, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I go to the mountains, you're there. There's nowhere I can go where you are not. Surely God is in this place. The issue is, do I see him? Or do I not? Just take half a minute right now just to pray to the Lord God. Say, Lord, show me. Maybe you've got a predicament. You've got a situation in your life. Maybe there's a person in your life. Maybe it's something in your life that you're wanting God to change. Surrender that to the Lord God and say, Father, meet me in this place. Touch these places. Move in these places. Whatever your needs are, whatever those places are, when your concerns, your cares go up, God sends angels down from heaven to bring your answer to you. It's the gate of heaven. Let's pray together for a few moments right now as we respond to God's word.
to know that God is with me and that he's going to change. Or maybe as you go through the week, there are places that you go to that are just hard for you to worship God. It's not a sinful place, but it's just a place that you have to be. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's school. And you just, man, I just want to know that God is with me. feel like there's something like that in my life. There's a big thing or a little thing. I just want to ask you to, to stand where you are so that uh, we can all pray together for one another. And just build community here. Right? So again, big thing, little thing, person, predicament, place. It's anything like that. If that's you, just stand where you are. It doesn't matter um, how big you think it is or how little it is. But it's a step of faith. So let's invite God into this place. So just stand where you are. Just give you about 10 seconds to do that. of God, to be a a Bethel, to be the gate of heaven where you pour out your blessing. So let's do that. And and if we can, yeah, just turn to people around us and and, and let's pray. Let's just pray for each other for a couple moments and ask the Lord God blessing over our brothers and sisters in this place. So let's let's pray together. If you want to move to where other people are, you can do that. Let's just pray and ask for God's presence to meet with his people. see someone who's not being prayed for and and just go to to, to them and just looking around and and let's lift up people right now just for a couple moments let's build a spirit of anticipation an expectation that God's going to move and he's going to work in in this place in the places where we go
service of worship. I just get the sense that every week when we come in here, we're either running from something or afraid of something, afraid of something behind us, afraid of something that's happened or afraid of something in front of us. That's where we all are. Every week we come. And every week we come, we can experience the life-transforming power of God because in this place we believe that you're here and this is the gate of heaven. Many of us come each week with unseen tears. Many of us come with shame that we mask over with the stuff that we put on. We thank you, Father, that you see all those things. And here in these places, you strip away all of that and you wrap us in your arms of love and you let us know that it's going to be okay. Let us know that you will go with us, go before us, and you'll never, ever let us go. And you will accomplish and be faithful to the promises that you've made to us. That you will be faithful to bring us home. Thank you, Father, that none of us could save ourselves any way, any more so than any animal could change the color of its skin. But we thank, except the chameleon, but none of us can do that. You alone can save and to rescue. So we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. We pray especially for those who stood to take a step of faith to say, Lord, I need you. Father, we pray that this week you would open up the heavens and you would pour into their lives in a way that they so deeply long. And for others of us in here who have prayers and predicaments and situations in our lives that remain between you and and us. We ask, oh Lord, that you would minister in those places, that you would show your glory. Thank you, Father, that you are in your spirit, through your spirit, here with us. May we continue to worship you as we offer up our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.